This is the Tao of Christ, and I am Marshall Davis. In this podcast, I explore the mystical roots of Christianity, which Jesus called the Kingdom of God, which I refer to as Christian non-duality, unitive awareness, or union with God. Others call it non-dual awareness, liberation, enlightenment, or spiritual awakening. It is the heart of all spiritual traditions. This is the Tao of Christ. Good afternoon, this is Marshall Davis. Today I am continuing the interpretation of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount from a non-dual perspective. Last time, there was the non-dual ethics of Jesus. And from there, Jesus goes on to talk about spiritual practices. So I'm calling this episode the non-dual spiritual practices of Jesus. People ask me what spiritual practices I recommend to help them open up to the realization of what Jesus called the, the kingdom of God. And I say that as far as I know, there are no practices that will accomplish that. I wasn't practicing any spiritual practices at the time. In fact, I had rejected all religious and spiritual practices. Therefore, when this spiritual shift happened, I attributed it purely to grace. Having said that, I admit that for decades previously, I had engaged in all sorts of spiritual practices, pretty traditional ones. I practiced forms of contemplative prayer and meditation. For many years, I had also done the traditional Christian disciplines of prayer and scripture study. I read spiritual books, especially devotional classics. I have also been involved in corporate worship all my adult life. So you could make a case that these prepared the ground for spiritual awakening to sprout, but it feels like it's pure grace. In any case, Jesus does recommend some spiritual practices on the Sermon of the Mount. Like everything else, he said, these practices were rooted in kingdom consciousness or non-dual awareness. Jesus does not present these in the form of commands. He doesn't tell his followers that they have to do these. Instead, he assumes that his followers are doing these practices, and he told them how to do them the best way, the way that he would recommend. Jesus starts off this section with the following words, which serve as the theme for the whole section. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Jesus is warning against doing spiritual practices for the wrong reasons. Specifically, he was warning against the ego using spiritual practices for its reasons. He regularly criticized the Pharisees and the Sadducees for their displays of religiosity. He repeatedly called them hypocrites for doing this. And that's certainly a danger in every spiritual tradition. The ego tends to co-opt everything for its own purpose, and that includes spirituality and spiritual disciplines, and in so doing, it undermines them. 
So Jesus's advice concerning spiritual practices is very simple. He says, be careful. You know, it's not about what spiritual practices are best. It's all about why you're doing it. And more importantly, who is doing it? If the ego is doing it, for egoic reasons, the practice will simply reinforce the ego and not go beyond the ego. Once again, just like in the last section, Jesus leads us into self-inquiry. People of all religions are vulnerable to displays of ego masquerading as righteousness. To guard against this, Jesus' advice is to do everything as privately as possible. Now, we can't stop making rules and laws about this, or we're going to fall into legalism, which is simply another egoic trap. Instead, we simply need to be careful that as much as possible to be sure that our spiritual practices are originating from a divine source and not an egoic source. Okay, let's get on to the specific that Jesus mentions. First practice Jesus mentions is almsgiving, what we might call charitable giving today, which in the earlier age was called charity. The word charity has bad connotations now, but it comes from a Latin word for love. If Christians practice giving alms today in the United States, there would be no poverty. Many Americans complain about taxes going to social programs. But the truth is, if Christians did what Jesus told us to do, there would be no need for these programs. Jesus defines almsgiving as giving to the needy. He says, so when you give to the needy, so he's assuming we're already giving to the needy. Unfortunately, this type of giving has been replaced for the most part in Christianity, by giving to the church. And Christians give a lot of money to the church. Conservative, evangelical Christians have this standard of tithing their income. And other Christians give a good percentage of their income, and they hope that it's being used according to God's will. With a big chunk of it, hopeful, I would think, would go to those who really need it for physical needs. Unfortunately, the reality is that most church giving doesn't go to that. Buildings and salaries and benefits for staff members make up almost all of the church budget. In many ways, the church has turned into a business. And megachurches turn into big business, with pastors drawing huge salaries and perks. And only a tiny fraction of what is given to the church actually goes to people who are in need. But if churches gave all the money that they took in to people in need in their communities, there are so many Christians in America that, that it would wipe out homelessness and hunger and poverty. Now, I have nothing against giving to the church. I made my living as a local church pastor for 40 years, so it would be hypocritical for me now to knock it. And Jesus didn't knock it. Jesus praised the poor widow, for example, who put her widow's might into the temple treasury. 
So Jesus wasn't against it. I'm just saying that's not the type of almsgiving that Jesus is talking about here in the Sermon on the Mount. Giving to the church should not take the place of giving to those who are in need. Now, why give to those in need? The answer is found in non-duality. We give to the needy because we are the needy. We are one. They are us. Jesus said, as you have done it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you have done it to me. He knew that in some essential way he was his brothers and sisters. So are we. As I repeatedly have said, we love our neighbors as ourselves because they are ourselves. We are one. And this determines how we give. Jesus goes on. So when you give to the needy, say not if you give, but when you give. When you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Now, this advice is very insightful. Jesus is telling us to do this giving almost unconsciously. Jesus is talking about the type of giving that is so selfless that we are not even aware that we are doing it. It's just a natural part of who we are, of our real identity. It comes naturally. This is kingdom consciousness, non-dual awareness. The ego, on the other hand, when it gives, it does what's best for itself. And if it gives money, it wants something in return, at least to be acknowledged. Jesus says the spiritual practices of, of all types flow from the divine self, not the egoic self. To use Christian language, it flows from the spirit and not the flesh. Flesh in Christian terminology, and Apostle Paul's writing, for example, simply another word for ego. Flesh is not to be confused with the body. So when we give, let it be God giving through us with as little interference as possible by the self, the individual personal self. The next spiritual discipline that Jesus recommends is prayer. He says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. And then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now, he's not telling us how to pray here. We'll get to that in a moment. He tells us here where to pray. And he says in private. This undercuts the ego. The ego loves an audience. The self, capital S, the true self, the spiritual self, knows that there is no audience that we're all one, and that one is one with God, is that one is God, there's no other. So it's foolish to put on a show for others. Then he tells us how to pray, or rather how not to pray. He says, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, 
for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. In other words, Jesus is saying is to keep it to a minimum of words. His example of brevity is the Lord, Lord's Prayer, which he then is going to mention. I'm not going to talk about the Lord's Prayer in this episode. I'm going to devote a whole episode to it next time because it's so important in Christianity. For now, I'll simply say that the point of the Lord's Prayer is that this is an example of brevity. And that's why he includes it here. He didn't expect this to be memorized and repeated as a ritual by his followers. That's not Jesus' style. Remember the the KISS, the K-I-S-S acronym. Keep it simple, saint. So minimum words. No words is even better. I seldom use words in prayer. They They get in the way. They're clumsy and inaccurate. Jesus says that God knows what we need before we ask. So what's the point of speaking them? Words are for communication, and communication implies duality. Words put a distance between us and God. And that's the opposite of oneness. Words are tools of the personal dualistic self. Using words in prayer is fine, as long as you realize that. And they're fine as far as it goes. But I do not discourage verbal prayer. If the ego needs to speak to God, let it speak. If you feel the need to speak in prayer, speak. That's the way you are expressing yourself. But even then, keep it simple, saint. I would rather simply be in the presence without dualistic words or thoughts or prayers or practices. I resonate with the words of the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans when he says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, but we do not know how to pray as we ought. But that very Spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words. Prayer is deeper than words. It's not even groanings that Paul mentions for me. It's simply abiding. That's non-dual prayer. Now, I'll talk about prayer more next time when we explore the, the Lord's Prayer. But for now, that is it. Grace and peace to you. That is the Tao of Christ for today. Thank you for listening. You can access other episodes of this podcast at thedowofchrist.com. You can also find these podcasts in video format at my YouTube channel at christiannonduality.net. My blog, Spiritual Reflections, can be found at marshalldavis.us. There you will also find a link to my books and my email address. Join me next time for another episode of The Tao of Christ.